Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. All right, so um, for those of you that haven't been here in a, a, a while, we are in the midst of a, a sermon series and we're kicking around the book of Proverbs and we're talking about uh, wisdom and we're also talking about our Thrive Flame. If you notice, we've got these super cool boxes on either side that are all lit up. It feels like Las Vegas up here now, but... Um, at any rate, so today we're going to be working once again on our grow flame, right? So our ignite flame is igniting a, pa- a passionate, life-giving, vibrant relationship with Jesus. Activating is activating the person and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Growing is growing in personal wholeness and emotional maturity and health. Engaging is engaging in God's mission. Engaging in God's mission to care for the poor. Engaging in God's mission to reach the lost. And gathering together is that we are gathered together as a family. We are coals. And when we're together, we get warm and the flame can burn really, really brightly. So that's what we're up to. Today we're growing again. And we're going to be growing uh, in the area of our finances this morning. It's funny because, Wendy, you were kind of kicking around on some of the things that I'll be sharing later. But um, you guys may have heard this or you may not have. I didn't know this. Did you know that there are around 2,350 verses in the Bible that talk about money? I mean, it's an incredible number of verses that, that talk about money. When Jesus talked about money, he talked about money more than he talked about faith and prayer combined, right? As a matter of fact, 16 of his, let's see, how many is it? 38 parables, almost half, were on the topic of money. So this was a subject that was so, so, so important to God. And of course, it's like a tricky one for us pastors, but I'm getting to the point where I just don't care, quite honestly. We're going to go for it as a church, right? <laughs> Uh, and so um, I want to talk to you for a bit about financial planning. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever had a financial planner or not before, but we've had them over the years. And one, the, the one practice that all financial planners seem to do is the yearly checkup. Are you guys aware of this, right? Like once a year, uh, your financial planner probably asked to have a meeting with you at some point. And the meeting, there was a, there was a purpose for it. The purpose for the meeting was to sort of look at your portfolio in a portfolio and it was to reassess your goals. And it was to rebalance, right? So we reassess goals when we meet with the financial guy and he or she would sit there and say, okay, so uh, last year you said that your financial goals were to do X, Y, and Z. Is that still what you're trying to do? And maybe it changes. Like maybe, uh, you know, prior to COVID, you know, you had a great job and you thought, I'm going to retire by the time I'm 62, but maybe something happened and you lost a job or an income and you start, started to think, well, maybe I can't retire till I'm 65 or something like that. So the financial planner wants to know that. So they reassess uh, your goals. But the other thing that they do is they rebalance, right? And the, the rebalancing thing is this. And Dwight's shaking his head because he knows what I'm talking about. Uh, if you, you know, got into this thing and, and your portfolio is 60% stocks and 40% bonds, and that's what the guy says is the good thing to do. Well, if the stock market goes right through the roof over the course of a year, at the end of that year, instead of having 60% of your portfolio in stocks, you now have 70%. And so the guy or the, or the woman will come back and say, we need to sort of rebalance this thing, right? And so I wanted to say to us that if, if reassessing financial goals and rebalancing our approach is wise in the natural, 
then I believe that it's also wise in the spiritual for us to do that, right? Because at some time in the past, I know that we all have probably made some decisions about how we want to do our money and how we, where we want to send it and how we want to do it based on what God told us to do with it. But as time passes, our goals and our allocations and all of that stuff, that can kind of change. It can, it can fade. It, we can sometimes veer off course. And so today, we're going to have a financial planning meeting. And my purpose is to encourage us to shore up our financial goals and maybe... This is going to scare you a little bit, even to change some of our financial goals. And I know that that's a big statement because probably 100% of you really are set and you're really locked in. You know what you want to do with your money and you've kind of already decided, you've already decided what you're going to do. And, and I don't know about you guys, but if I were to ask you, what are your financial goals? Or even better, if a fin- like if a, if your financial planner were to sit down with you and say, "Okay, what are your financial goals?" My guess is is that we would all say something along the lines of, "I want to have a relatively stable, relatively enjoyable lifestyle today, and I want to have security for tomorrow." Right? Have you ever said something like that or heard something like that when you're talking to your financial person? Right? I want to have stability today. And I want to have security for tomorrow, right? And that's like we're talking about retirement. And that's basically, quite honestly, every time I've ever met with anybody, that's all I've ever said to them, quite literally. That's the only thing I've ever said. But my question is, is where did we get this idea? Where did we get this idea? Where did those goals come from? Was like a nice lifestyle today and security for tomorrow a dream that was born in our hearts when we were three years old? Is that where that came from, right? Did we like think about this when we were little kids? Probably not. So where did this dream of making money and managing money for a nice life now and security for tomorrow, where did that come from? Well, it probably came from our dad, right? That's where some of my stuff came from, our well-meaning dads. And it came from commercials. It came from Fidelity and Vanguard and Edward Jones and Charles Schwab and all those guys. And they cast this beautiful vision for the life that we all want, right? They cast this beautiful vision for what life could be and the thriving and the fun and the security and the retirement and all that. And then that vision was reinforced by their armies of financial planners that they sent out into the world. We've literally had financial planners knocking on our door many, many weeks. I don't know if you guys have ever had that, but we've done that. And what we were told is that this is the life that we want, And this is how you're going to get it. And not only did they cast a vision for us, a very compelling vision, but they also told us scary stories. Have you heard the scary story? Like, if you don't have a million bucks in your, you know, Roth IRA or your 401k, you're doomed, right? It's all over for you. And I, I, don't get me wrong, I fully actually believe in financial planning. I think that for the most part, They have our best interests in mind, for the most part. I think they do. And they have a wisdom and a training that would certainly help any one of us if our goal was a decent lifestyle today and security for tomorrow. So I am definitely pro-financial planning, not that you need to hear that. But, and this is a really, really big but, as Christians, as children of God, as kingdom people, our financial paradigm, our financial goals cannot and should not be defined by any non-kingdom person. 
as kingdom people, as children of God, no matter how rich or how wise or how well-meaning a secular person may be, that person cannot be the loudest voice in our ears when it comes to our finances. And here's one reason why. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, what? There your heart will be. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. And Jesus was telling us what we probably already know, but it's this, that our hearts are all tangled up with our finances. And he said that wherever you send your money, your heart will go there as well. And so that makes it incredibly important to know who we are giving our ear to. And so it's fine to follow and to have some advice from a good financial planner, but it's important that we go to God first because, and this is my key phrase for the day, because there is an eternity of difference between having financial goals and having kingdom purposes for our money. There is an eternity of difference, a world of difference between having financial goals and having kingdom purposes for our money. And when I say our money, just like what Wendy was saying earlier, I am talking about all of it. I'm talking about everything that we have and everything that we own. We're not just talking about a portion of it. We're not even just talking about 10% of it. We're talking about all of it. And if you've ever, again, sat down with financial planner, one of the things that they want to know is is they want to know about everything that you have because they want to share their wisdom about all that you have, right? And so my question to all of us this morning is, is do we have financial plans Or do we have kingdom purposes for our money? That's the question. You might wonder, well, what's the difference, right? What's the difference between a financial goal and a kingdom purpose? And the difference is this. The financial goals that we've been taught to embrace by the world are made and created to build and to secure our own kingdoms. That's the difference. Financial goals that we've been taught are made to build our own kingdoms. I think I have a picture. Do I have any pictures of kingdoms up here at all? Yep, there they are. Okay, so... This is what we've been taught. We've been taught that we must build our own kingdom so that we always have our own castle, so that we have our chariots and horses, our our means of transportation. We have our entertainment in place and that we are able to protect and to provide for our kingly or queenly counterpart if we have them, our princes and princesses if we have them, and all the little villagers that they will eventually produce, right? That's, That's what we're supposed to do. And our finances build our king, our castles, and our kingdoms, and our money are the walls that protect our kingdoms. That's what we've been taught. But God tells us through the scripture that we are to have a radically different goal for our money, a radically different goal if our money will have kingdom purposes. And the difference is this, right? The difference between having financial goals and kingdom purposes is whose kingdom you intend to build. Let me say it again. The difference between having financial goals and kingdom purposes is whose kingdom you intend to build. To have kingdom purposes for your finances is to build another kingdom, to build God's kingdom. And that's what's at the heart of the matter right here. And so what I want to ask you this morning is, I want you to reassess today, whose kingdom am I really trying to build? Whose kingdom with my finances? And I want to be transparent with you guys. I've noticed in my life, how easy it is to slip from one kingdom to the other. How easy it is to slip from one paradigm to the other. And I want to say this, it's particularly true 
if you are obedient with the tithe, if you are a tither, it is particularly true of that. And one of the things that I've noticed about Molly and I is that because we obey God in regards to our tithing, I can slip into feeling and believing that all of my finances are submitted to God and all of my finances are working to build his kingdom. But let me say this, and this is, I hate to admit it to you, but it's true. On a daily basis, all that I can say for sure is that 10% of my income goes to the Lord and goes to building his kingdom. All I can say for sure is that 10% is his, and the rest of it, quite honestly, is up for grabs on a day-to-day basis. On a day-to-day basis, it's, it's just kind of up to me. And so sometimes I have discovered that being a tither has tricked me into believing that all of my finances are sanctified, that all of my finances are set apart for God, for God's purposes. And it's because I've checked that tithe box off, right? And so the question I want to wrestle with for a bit is, is whose money is it really? Psalm chapter 24, verse one says this, the earth is the Lord's. This is a big statement. The earth is the Lord's. And everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And so what is, what is the psalmist saying? Everything belongs to God, right? He's saying, this is kind of all encompassing, like what belongs to God? Everything. Who belongs to God? Everyone, right? He's like kind of covered all his bases there. It's like an airtight case, right? So the question is, is what if we, what if this became a practical reality in our lives, right? What if this were actually true? And Jesus actually, he reaffirmed this incredible statement that God made throughout all of his teachings. And one of Jesus's most famous um, parables, we, uh, I always thought of it as the parable of the talents, but in my Bible, it's called the parable of the three servants. And it says this, I'm going to read this to you guys and you'll have it behind me. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. It says this again, this is Jesus teaching uh, his disciples and his followers about life in the kingdom. He says this again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. And he gave five bags of silver two ba- uh, to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. That will prove to be uh, a point later. Then he left for his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and he earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and he earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And after a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. And the servant to whom he had entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more. And he said, master, you give me five bags of silver to invest. And I have earned five more. And the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling the small amount. And so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, master, you give me two bags to invest. And I have earned two more. And the master said, well done, Good and faithful servant, you've been faithful in handling this small amount. And so I'm going to give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops that you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. And I was afraid that I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. 
So look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew uh, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money at the bank? At least I could have gotten interest on it. And then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver because to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But those who do, do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so Jesus is teaching us a lot in this parable. I'm just going to go through it uh, a little bit quickly, just bullet it here. So what is he teaching us? Well, first of all, he's teaching us about life in the kingdom. We are a kingdom people, and this is a teaching about life in the kingdom, the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. And so right away, we know this is the kingdom approach to finances. Secondly, we learn about the servants, and who are the servants? We are, right? He is the master, God is the master, Jesus is the master, and we are the servants. And so we're going to learn about where our money comes from and who it belongs to. And what Jesus teaches is that all of that money, all of their silver, it actually belonged to the master. It wasn't theirs. They didn't get it because of their hard work. They didn't get it because of their winning personalities or even an inheritance. It was the master's money, and the master intended to loan it to them for them to put that money to good work, right? The master, here's the third thing, the master had purposes for the money that he entrusted to his servants. He had plans for it, right? He wanted to see the kingdom multiplied through those resources. And so he entrusted his wealth to them. And he said, go and multiply my kingdom. Fourthly, we see the master's anger at the servant who misused the money by burying it in the ground. And in our context, um, we still bury God's money into the ground every time we use his money for something that is not reflective of his heart or reflective of his kingdom. Now, we don't actually bury you know, silver or gold into the ground because we all use cryptocurrency, right? You guys are now on to Bitcoin, I'm assuming, like the rest of us? Okay. Well, right, so we don't bury it that way. But, but like I said, we bury, we can bury his money when we overconsume or when we make unwise or unnecessary purchases, or we can even, this is how we probably most often bury his money. We probably bury God's money into our checking accounts and into our investment accounts if he is not allowed to touch it. And this is what I want to say about this. God's money given to us as stewards is buried in a hole whenever we put it into a place where God cannot touch it and he cannot use it for his good purposes. That's how we bury his money. Wherever it is that we put it, if God is not allowed access to it, then we have buried it. Am I right on that? Or It's a tough one, right? We got God's portion and then the rest is ours. This is hard stuff. But let me be clear about this, you guys. I am absolutely not saying that it is wrong to have a nice car or a nice house or to get furniture or to go on vacation. I'm not saying any of that stuff, right? But what Jesus is teaching is, is, is that if you take God's money and you put it in a place in your life where he has no access to it, then you're doing financial planning. You're not doing kingdom purpose with your money because God doesn't want us to treat his money as if it's our money, right? So um, I know that this is challenging, but I was thinking about this and I was thinking about, okay, God, 
what would really, would, would anything really change if I thought of my resources at, at, from a stewardship standpoint? If I actually thought everything that I have is yours, uh, instead of just a portion of what I have is yours, would it change anything in my actual behavior? And you know what the answer is? Yes, it would. It would actually change some things, right? It would change some of my, uh, of my daily decision making, but, Here's what I want to say. What we might envision about how our lives would be impacted and what we, how the, the, the picture in our minds of what God would do if he were in control of our finances and the reality of it, for most of us, are a world apart. And what we often envision, I want to tell you, is more often informed by, shaped by, created by, the enemy of God, created by Satan, than it is uh, the truth of who God really is. Can you, can you imagine that? Can you, if you feel fear around this, even as I'm sharing this, if there's fear about control or something like that, then I want you to know that I think that the enemy is speaking lies to you about you, about God, about your money, right? And so one of the things that Satan does is he tells us that if we give God control of our money, God will absolutely bankrupt us. If we give anybody control over our finances, then disaster will come to us really, really quickly. And if you have a a gut feeling about that, I want to tell you that that's probably the enemy speaking to you. Another thing that the enemy probably tells us is that um, we can buy happiness with our money by keeping up with the Joneses, by keeping up with the spending habits of our friends. We can buy our way into happiness, right? And the thing is, is that Christians, uh, uh, the enemy wants us to do anything other than trusting God with our finances because, again, wherever we send our money, that's where our heart will be. The stakes are so high. And the more that we get on board with God's kingdom finances, the closer we're going to be to him. We're going to thrive in our relationship with God. And so what I want to do is I want to tell you the truth about who God is. And the truth is, is that God is good. He is your father. He is your protector. He is so generous. He is so lavish. He is so caring for us that he makes every human good father look like a villain in comparison, right? Jesus said this, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? And I was actually just thinking about this and, um, one of the ways that God does finances, which is so amazing, is like, I know that there are numbers of people in this church and many, many, many more people outside of this church that have literally received a financial blessing from this church. And all that is, is just a manifestation of the heart of God. That's all it is. It's nothing more than that. It's nothing to be proud of. It is just an expression of the generosity and the care of God. It's just how God works. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never turn my back on you ever. I will never fall away. And so this is how we need to see God's directives about our money. We need to see God for the father that he truly is to us rather than the villain that the enemy wants to create in our mind's eye. Does that make sense to you guys? And so I want to give you just two standard biblical directives regarding money. Okay, that's what we're going to do. We're going to finish up with just two things that the Bible teaches about money. Okay, and they are, first of all, to be generous 
And secondly, to get and stay out of debt. We're going to talk about being generous, and we're going to talk about getting and staying out of debt. And we're going to see what it has to say. And my hope is, is that as we talk about these biblical concepts, that you will be able to see the true Father God through this stuff, okay? Are you okay? You okay? All right. I'm proud of you. So, Satan's lie is this. You better not be too, uh, too generous because generosity will bankrupt you and it'll eventually make you miserable. Don't give that money away because you are absolutely going to need it later because there isn't enough to go around. That's the lie. Don't be generous because you are going to need it and there isn't enough to go around. And whenever we feel like we cannot be generous, there is a good chance that we're not listening to wisdom, but we're listening to the voice of the enemy and we're believing a lie. Now, I'm going to appeal to no greater uh, or no lesser uh, a, a, a resource than Harvard to prove this to you, okay? So there's a Harvard economics professor, and he did a study, and he did a TED Talk recently. Somebody's calling me. Um, so he did a study on generosity, and then he did a TED Talk on it a couple, of, a couple of years ago, okay? And he started his talk by saying this, if you think that money can't buy happiness, you're not spending it right. If you think money cannot buy happiness, you're not spending it right. So here's what this professor did. He did this study, and he, uh, he gathered two groups of people, and he measured their happiness. So in the morning, they, they, they went out to like a mall, I think, or something, and they, got, they, they gathered up this group of people for the study, and they said, hey, would you like to participate? And they said, yeah. And so he said the first thing that they did is, is they did a questionnaire, and they measured this group of people's happiness. Okay, And so they gave themselves like a 1 out of 10 or something like that. And then what they did is, is they gave group A money. They gave them, some of the people got a $5 bill and some of the people got a $20 bill. And in group A, after they measured their happiness, the professor said, okay, now what I want you to do is I want you to go and I want you to spend this money on yourself. Like go buy something for yourself. I don't care what you get. I don't care where you get it. I don't care what you do, but spend it on yourself. And at the end of the day, you need to come back to me and let me know what you did. And so they did that. Group B did something different. They got the $5 bills and they got the $20 bills. But then the professor said to this group, you cannot spend it on yourself. You must spend that money on someone else. And at the end of the day, we're going to go back and I want to know, uh, we're going to reassess your happiness quotient. So both groups did what they were told. Both groups came back. And group A, when they came back and they said, okay, so how happy are you now? Their happiness increased by zero. Not at all. Group B. Their happiness increased significantly, right? And it didn't matter if they gave a $5 bill away or a $20 bill or whatever it is that they bought with it. The amount was not relevant. What was relevant was that they could not spend on themselves. And when they didn't, their happiness went up, right? And so it's like, okay, this Harvard guy found something out five years ago, but what has the Bible been teaching us for 3,000 years? Proverbs 11.25 a generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Hello, Harvard, right? Just read the Bible. You don't need to do all that stuff, right? This is kingdom economy and doing money with a kingdom purpose. This is how God works through our finances. And so I want to ask you, what would it take for you right now to move your thinking from, I don't have enough to be generous, to becoming a person who wants to use your finances for a kingdom purpose. What would have to change? Where, how much movement has to happen in your thinking where you could believe that being generous will actually bless God 
and bless people and bless you. We'll open up the doors of blessing in your life. So that's generosity. Let's talk about debt, okay? So our financial planners tell us that there's good debt and bad debt, but generally they say that debt is bad, especially high interest credit card debt. They say you got to get out of that debt because if you're in debt, you will not be able to fund your dreams. You won't be able to protect your family. So get out of debt. That's what they say. What does God say? God says this in Proverbs 22, chapter uh, verse 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. The borrower is a slave to the lender. And so while our secular financial planners encourage us to get out of debt, God goes much further than that. He says it's much more serious than, the, than you think. And he says that if you owe money to, you know, the whole joke, MasterCard, right? If you owe money to Visa, if you owe it to Ford or Chrysler, if you owe it to Macy's or Nordstrom's, you have become a slave to them. And you are not free. And it begs the question, when we work our 40 or 50 hours a week, who is it that we're working for? Who are we earning for? Are we earning for ourselves? Are we earning for God and the kingdom? Or are we doing our 45 or 50 hours a week for some corporation that is using us to make money with an interest? Because when we go into debt, we end up working for them and they own us until they are paid off. And I've seen it. I have seen every year we do a mission trip to Puerto Rico and I have every year experienced people who said, I wish that I could go, but I can't go because I don't have the finances to do it because I'm in debt. I have had people that want to finance missions trips, but they can't do it. I've had people that have wanted to give a sum of money to someone or to start tithing all kinds of things, but they were not able to do it because their money was enslaved. It was tied up in their credit card company. And I just wonder how much amazing kingdom stuff never happened because we acted like owners of God's resources rather than stewards of it. How much amazing stuff did God want to do, but his money was tied up in new shoes or a vacation or a dinner outer? Who knows what? I don't even know. But tying up God's money is burying it in the ground, and he's not able to do the kingdom things that he wants to do. And worse than that, that debt ties us up. It ties us up. Paul said, it's for freedom that you've been set free. And yet when we get into debt, we don't get to experience the joy of freedom. We don't get to experience the joy of of being released into the world to do the amazing and the fun things that God has us to do. And we carry the burden of that debt. And so in spite of the fact that Jesus came to set us free, we don't get to experience that when we get enslaved to debt and enslaved to masters like the businesses that are just trying to make money off of us. And so my question is, is who do you want to be your master? Who do you want to have master over your life? Because the borrower is the slave uh, to, the, to the lender. And so this morning, uh, as I wrap up, I just, want you to, I just want to invite you to do some thinking about God, about Satan, about your money, uh, just about how you're going to do money. And I have actually, I have three assignments for us, okay? And one of the assignments, this is our time of application. Uh, and one of these is for all of us. And then the other two uh, may be relevant for you. God may be speaking this or maybe not. It may not be for you, okay? But here are the three assignments for us, okay? And I want us to all do this first one. It's this. 
I want to challenge you. I want to ask you to meet with, not with your financial planner this week, but with your kingdom purpose planner this week. And so my ask and my pitch is that the next time you have a moment to spend time with God, I want to invite you to have a conversation with him. And I want to invite you to just ask him, God, what do you want to say to me about this? And I want to challenge you to just um, to say, I want you to be Lord over everything that I have. And I don't know what that means, and I don't know how I'm going to feel about that, but that is my heart. And I want to know, God, what would it look like if instead of me being an owner over everything I have, what would it look like for me to be a steward and for you to have access to everything that I have? And my guess is, is that God has already been speaking to you guys about some of this stuff. I bet the the conversation will get started really, really quickly. And so whenever it is that you have some time with God next, just ask him, God, tell me. What do you want to do? What do you want me to know? I want, to, I want you to have access to everything that I have. So that is for all of us, right? Because we want our finances uh, to be made, like we, want, like we want to be available for, you know, God. We want, to be, we want to give everything that we are to him, and that includes our finances, right? We want our finances to have kingdom on it as well. And so one of the things that I'm learning um, to ask God, because Molly and I have um, dedicated ourselves to, um, to fully tithing on our, our gross every week, you know, that's a done deal. But now I'm asking God, what else? What else? What else do you want to do with me, Lord? That's, that's sort of my next step. Okay, so the two specific things. The first one is this. For some of us, it may be that God is speaking to you about becoming a generous person. Like he's already been kind of speaking this to you and you've already been feeling this, right? Maybe he's put it on your heart to become one of those people where you see yourself as a generous person, right? And so when you talk to God, tell him, I want to become a generous person. I want to be as generous as you you are. So Lord, show me how to do that. Show me when to do that because I am ready to go for it. Some of you, this is a specific thing. You're going to become a giver. You're going to become a resource to other people in your lives. And finally, uh, the last thing I want us to to think about, uh, and this is again for some of us, is debt, okay? Uh, There are some of us that um, are in debt and God is calling you out of it. He's calling you to get out from underneath that debt. And I first want, I want to tell you, there is no judgment for you. There's no judgment from God. There's no judgment from us. No judgment whatsoever. But God wants to set you free. He wants to set you free and take the burden off of your shoulders because he just wants to bless you. He wants to protect you. He wants to care for you. And so if you've been struggling with debt, here's the tool that I would encourage you to check out. Uh, it's called the Debt Snowball by Dave Ramsey. Just look it up on the web, the debt snowball. It is an amazing strategy for getting out of debt. It's just a a little by little strategy for getting out of debt, but it is life-giving. It's empowering. It will will give you motivation to get out from underneath uh, the debt that you might be in. And so let's just, let's just, commit ourselves to, to meeting with God, who is not our financial planner, but he is our kingdom purpose guy, right? And I just want to say that there is no greater return on investment whatsoever than giving kingdom purpose to our finances, just as we've given kingdom purpose to our lives. So I'll give you one scripture to close, and hopefully this will gird you up and strengthen you as you dip your toe into this pool that I'm inviting you to, to fling yourself into. First Peter chapter five, verse six says this. This is Peter writing and he says, humble yourselves, therefore, 
under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time and cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Let's just offer God our hearts. We're going to just begin um, to, to just do this work right now, striking while the iron is hot. And I just want you to um, just talk to the Lord for a moment and listen to the Lord. And I just want you to just consider the question, um, am I going to be a person with a financial plan or a kingdom purpose for my finances? I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and, um, and just be present with us right now. Because this is a big, big, big deal to all of us, Lord. And Lord, I'm not, I'm not presuming at all that, that any of us in here are against this message or any of those things, Lord. But I do know how closely our money is tied to our hearts. And I know how easy it is for, for us to rely too heavily on it and to get scared to be parted with it, Lord. And I know that it's not your heart to take our money from us, Lord. Your heart is for us. It's not against us. But Lord, we want to become a people that are on fire for you. And just as our life has kingdom purpose, we want our finances to have kingdom purpose. And so I I just pray right now, Lord, for just a courage and a grace to put a stake in the ground right at this moment that in our hearts, we will declare that our money will have kingdom purpose. I, as I was praying about our time um, together, we, we don't ever do that thing at church, and maybe we will someday, where everybody closes their eyes and you lift up your hand to make a declaration of some sort. You say, yeah, that's me. I'm actually not going to ask you to do that. I don't need that. But I, I do want to ask you to just do that before the Lord in your heart. just feel like the Lord is um, ministering to fear right now. There's, um, there's just fear gets kicked up in this area. And for some of us, we may even feel like uh, fear has gripped our lives in this area. Fear gripped my life for so long in this area. I had this poverty mindset. I always felt like I wasn't going to be okay, that there wouldn't be enough. And so Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, if there is any person in here that is struggling with fear in their heart around finances, uh, Lord, I just pray right now that you would just deliver them from every fear. Fear uh, of the future, fear of loss, fear of catastrophe, fear of lack. Holy Spirit, would you just get rid of every power, every principality, every lying spirit, even just the things that we tell ourselves, Lord. We just bind the enemy. We say, no, you have to go. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come in and that you would begin to minister your peace and your care and that you would give us vision for freedom, Lord.